And Lord, as we get into the Word, we just we love worship and we love the move of the Holy Spirit and all that. But, but Lord, I just thank you for helping every one of us to be good soil. Let your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us right now. It's going to be hearing this or watching this. People on Facebook with us, those that are watching this through Vimeo, they're, listening, they're podcasting this, maybe they're driving down the road, but Lord, I pray that your precious Holy Spirit move upon every one of us. Help us to be good soil for what you're wanting to speak into us. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, help us to have good soil of minds, that our minds are focused and locked in. We're able to understand maybe what we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our minds and move upon our hearts to be good soil, to be open and receptive to the truth. And, Lord, that your word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let your word go out like light, shining and dispelling the darkness and bringing revelation and truth. And, Lord, we thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this out everywhere it needs to go. We submit it unto you, and we resist the devil. We bind up anything in the name of Jesus right now that would try to hinder, distract, or resist this or in any way come against this word. We bind you. You will back off right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your angels just clearing away anything of the devil. And Lord, let this go forth and bear fruit and be what you want it to be. The Bible says your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you sent it for to do. Let it land in good soil and produce a hundredfold harvest. And let everything be accomplished in through this time that your will to be done. Speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if I've ever had more positive feedback about any sermon series, and there's been certain ones that really stuck out to me that people got a lot out of, but I have had a lot of positive feedback about the book of Revelation. I think that many people are hungry for what does the Bible say about the end times. In particular, since we're living them out that we need to know and so tonight we're going to look at revelation chapter 15 and let me just kind of recap get your notes maybe get something out to take take notes with um up until this point you remember we got into revelation 11 and it was dealing with the trumpet judgments and then it was like it was like john put a parenthesis it's kind of like pausing the chronology and now John gets these distinct visions, different visions that he jots down. And God showed him the woman and the dragon and all that. It was like a, a recap of large, uh, a large time span of history, etc. We already talked about that. Then Revelation 13, remember the two beasts. One come out of the sea, one coming up out of the earth and had to do with the false prophet, the Antichrist. And then Revelation 14 we talked about the harvest god of the harvest and so tonight this is a vision in heaven this is a really short and so i'm going to but the purpose of this is to recap okay so we're going to look at a couple things and let me just read it as we go so in this in revelation chapter 15 verse 1 it says then i saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous look at this seven angels who had seven plagues which are the last because in them the wrath of god is finished so let me just stop there because these last seven plagues are called like the bowls of god's wrath or some translations calls them vials so let's recap y'all just look this way give me your best ear so here's how it's going to happen 
we're going along right now and it's harvest time and so just like in in the nation of israel the agriculture the first of the hebrew year begins in the spring and so the very first harvest is right around passover and it's the barley barley is gathered in and barley is kind of a gentle harvest if you will you take like a pitchfork called a winnowing fork and there's there's an area that you toss it up and the winds blow and separate the chaff out and the barley grain falls down so it's a picture and type of the harvest right now that's going to be happening in revival because this harvest will be affected when the winds of god blow upon this harvest do you see what i'm saying the holy spirit's wind we are literally yielding to the holy spirit and just like it will be tossed up we're eventually going to be caught away but right now god is blowing through and he's bringing in the harvest and he's purifying the harvest it's a work of the holy spirit so that's going to be the rapture harvest the the harvest before the tribulation time then you have after the tribulation begins you've got those that are left behind they did not yield to the holy spirit they had a hardened heart they were caught up with the world and all these other things and so the rapture happens all of a sudden they realize they missed it they start repenting they start running to church and all that and not only that but during this first half of the tribulation time 144,000 evangelists jewish evangelists emerge and they began witnessing people began to get saved and what's happening is in this first three and a half years the mark of the beast is being forced on humanity and all of the christians will not receive this mark they they refuse and so because of that there's going to be such a widespread persecution against christians so the first three and a half years is the the harvest of crushing let, let me show you so just like um the second harvest in israel's agriculture the second harvest now is the wheat and it's around pentecost and so the wheat is gathered in and wheat has a hard shell around it and so what they do is put it on the ground in these ancient times and they had like a sled that they would stand on the weight of their body on the sled and an animal would pull it and it would roll over the wheat and it would break the weight of it would break open that husk see and so just like that harvest has to be crushed and broken the tribulation saints are going to be crushed by the tribulation it's going to be a very difficult time widespread martyrdom and people are going to starve because they can't buy and sell others will be martyred outright killed imprisoned whatever and you see that by the the first three and a half years that by this point right here that we're looking at that the harvest of the tribulation time has happened it's like all those that could be saved if you will if i could say it that way okay hopefully you're take it the right way but all those that that yielded to what god was doing all those that could be saved were saved and they've been martyred for the most part and now they're in heaven they're underneath the golden altar and you're going to see another vision of them here but they've been brought up out of the world through martyrdom does this make sense 
So the first harvest is before tribulation, the wind, the Holy Spirit. The second harvest is through martyrdom, the crushing. And then, then you got the second half of the tribulation called the great tribulation. And this is where the Antichrist now sits in the temple. The Jews will not worship him, so he turns his vengeance on the nation of Israel. So the focus shifts from the Christians because by and large they've been martyred. So now the focus of the Antichrist and what Satan is doing is focused on Israel. And so the Antichrist releases his military against Israel. Two-thirds are killed, but one-third is preserved by God. They're going to supernaturally be protected, escape, and go probably to a place called Petra in Jordan. All right. So because of the way Satan and the world is dealing with Israel, this last three and a half years is the wrath of the Father. See, the first three and a half is the wrath of the Lamb by how Christians are being treated. But the last three and a half years has to do with the wrath of the Father with the way Israel is being dealt with. Does this make sense? Great tribulation. The first three and a half years, the wrath of the Lamb, and it was shofar blast. It was the trumpet judgments. The last three and a half years is the wrath of the Father because of the way they're treating Israel, and it's the bowls being poured out. Okay? Then after that time, Jesus is going to descend with all of those that are with him. We're going to be with him. He's going to come to the Mount of Olives and he's going to slaughter the enemies of Israel and come into Israel to the throne of his father David, sit on the throne and reign for a thousand years. But when he comes to Jerusalem, he's going to send his angels now and they're going to gather the third of the Jews. They're going to gather the elect that are still remaining. And maybe if there's any Christians that are still alive, is there are people out there that may be out in the woods and they can, they're survivalists they can survive off of the land but they're going to be gathered to the Lord this is the final harvest the grape harvest just like in Israel you have the barley then you have the wheat then at the end of the year you have the grapes and things like that the olives and so the last three and a half years is called the wine press because just like in a wine press the grapes are crushed underfoot remember and the blood of the grape is being crushing, the crushing. And so God the Father is going to pour out his bowls of wrath on the world. And there's going to be like a crushing. There's going to be a lot of death. And at the end of that time, the final harvest, the, the grape harvest, if you will, will be those that are brought to the Lord in Jerusalem. And at that time, the prophecies will be fulfilled. The Messiah has come all of Israel that's alive will believe him because he's standing in front of them. they will look on him whom they pierced no more and all of Israel will be saved in a day and Paul said it'll be like life from the dead like resurrection when that happens why because all the curse that came from the fall of man is going to lift off the entire planet Jesus has come the last Adam and it's going to become like the Garden of Eden again. People will live longer, a lot longer lifespans. The curse is going to lift off of humanity. Where, for example, the lion, the Bible talks about, well, you know, children will be able to play with these beasts. They're not going to be feared. Children will be able to play with snakes. And uh, 
the wolf will lay down with the lamb and the lion will eat straw and all that. So every, it's going to be like it was in the Garden of Eden when Jesus comes. So what you're seeing here, though, in Revelation chapter 15 is in the middle of the tribulation. The trumpet judgments have happened. Great martyrdom of Christians, they're in heaven. And there's kind of a calm for a moment, and then you're going to see the bowls of wrath come. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. Let me read verse 1 again. Then I saw another sign in heaven, a great marvelous, uh, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Because of them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who were victorious over the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist and his image and the number of his name they were victorious over him they they are the ones that are standing on the sea of glass holding harps of god and they sang the song of moses a bondservant of god and the song of the lamb so here's what's happened they've been martyred because they would not worship the beast you understand why the bowls of God because when I read Revelation 16 and explain it the bowls of wrath are, are no joke it is not something you want to be around to experience it is going to be God's wrath on the earth but why is God going to pour out such fierce wrath on the earth I'll tell you why because once all of the remaining Christians have been martyred and removed out of the earth the only people remaining on the earth are going to be those that the Bible says, and I'll show you as we go, that worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? The earth is going to be full of people that worship Satan, that worship his Antichrist, that they take the mark, and they worship the image of the Antichrist, and those are going to be the people that are remaining. Does this make sense? So they refused over and over and over again they refuse to get right with God. They are the ones that before the tribulation even started mocked the preachers. They mocked churches. They didn't want anything to do with God. And then during the first half of the tribulation time, they took the mark and they, they refused to repent before the 144,000. And so during those last three and a half years, now the only voice that God has in the earth is coming from Moses and Elijah as they're in Israel, in Jerusalem, and they're prophesying and all that, but that's the only remaining voice of God. And so God is pouring out his wrath, and, and personally I believe that because Moses and Elijah are most likely prophesying God because you refuse to repent. You've had, he's speaking to the people of the world. You've had every opportunity. You're not repenting. Therefore, God is going to do such and such. And then the bo one bowl is poured out and it happens. So the earth is kind of blaming those two witnesses for it. Shut them up. Kill them. Get rid of them. They're a pest. Instead of repenting. And so the witnesses say again, well, because you still refuse to repent. The next thing that God's going to do, and it reminds me of Moses, doesn't it? And Pharaoh, you keep hardening your heart. Well, guess what? Tomorrow it's going to be worse than it was yesterday. Harden your heart again. You know what? It's going to be worse this time.
It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, what I talked about last week, the Hebrew mindset is more circular about prophecy, like a cycling, if you will. And that's, again, you see like it was in the days of Moses. Moses is back again. In, you know, this time he's actually in Jerusalem. He didn't get to go the first time. But he's there prophesying. And once again, you're seeing like an antichrist who's like a Pharaoh. And you're seeing the judgments come down on his kingdom. So what you're looking at here is right in the middle of this time period. The Antichrist is just about to enter the temple, set up his image. That's about to happen, okay? But what has just happened is, is the earth has been harvested from all the Christians that have been martyred, and now you see them in heaven. Here they are. It says that they, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Have you guys ever looked out over like a pond or something and you saw that there was no wind and there was nothing going on and it looks like just glass, doesn't it? That's what, it, that's what it's showing here is that those that were victorious, what's the sea? Remember, the sea is the mass of humanity. So it's like those trumpet judgments have happened. Most likely an asteroid was a part of that hitting the earth. The trumpet judgments happened. The earth, the martyrdom took place. And now things have kind of gotten very calm and still for a short time. And those that overcame Satan are now in heaven. And they're above the sea of glass beneath them. They're above the earth. They're, they've overcome does that make sense? They're standing above it. They're on top of it. Overcomers. And uh, it says that they were victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name. In other words, they did not bow down to the Antichrist. They did not worship his idol and they refused to take his mark. And so now they've been killed, but they're standing in heaven above the earth. And God gave them harps. And they sang the song of Moses. What was the song when Israel came out of Egypt? Remember the horse and the rider drowned in the sea? And, and Miriam led this great song of rejoicing and victory that God delivered them. They came out by the blood of the lamb and God destroyed their enemies. It's the same thing that's happening right here. These people are going to be rejoicing and singing and praising God because just like it was then, they have been delivered out from their Pharaoh and they've been overcomers. And so they sang this song. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things, I looked up and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now remember that there is in heaven... There is a mount of God, like some kind of a mount that you go up, and there is a heavenly temple in heaven. And in that temple, the Bible said that God gave Moses revelation about what was in heaven to replicate it on the earth. And so God's throne is the Ark of the Covenant. And so Moses built the Ark like a throne and put it in the Holy of Holies and 
he saw God showed him the menorah in heaven so he replicated that here and etc so there is this um, this temple that's in heaven and it says after these things I looked up the temple the tabernacle the testimony in heaven was open and look at this the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen now here's something interesting on the earth in the temple that's in Jerusalem at this time what's happening the Antichrist is going into the temple declaring himself to be God and he's putting an idol there and he's demanding Israel to worship isn't it interesting that while that is happening in heaven it says here that angels are coming out of the actual temple of heaven with bowls of wrath to be poured out isn't that something and it says these angels were clothed in linen clean and bright and their chests wrapped with golden sashes and one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever and the temple was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished wow so I thought that was really neat when I read that and I was thinking about on the earth the Antichrist is going into the earthly temple declaring himself God but in heaven God says okay well here's what's going to happen so in heaven in God's throne in God's temple seven angels come out and receive these bowls of judgment that are going to be poured out because of what the Antichrist and his people are going to do all right so does all that make sense tonight if there's any questions guys please ask me after this so we can go through it together i want people to feel comfortable with end time prophecy so these days are coming upon us very soon and as i talked about last week in the story of hanukkah and i'm just going to close with this in the story of hanukkah remember that antiochus epiphanes came into the temple and he set up a big image to zeus and he demanded israel to worship greek gods and he went in there to defile that temple and, and turn it over. What he wanted to do was make the temple of God into a Greek temple. So what he did was he took a pig and killed it on the bronze altar. He took some of the pig and he boiled it into making it into like a broth. And he took that and he went through and he poured it on everything, anything in that temple to defile the temple on purpose. And then he went through the land and sent his military into different cities to intimidate them and he said you're going to do away from any type of customs that were given you by Moses now understand what God was doing in the earth at this time the story of Hanukkah this is before Jesus came so what God was doing in the earth was through the temple and so Antiochus sent his military they go out there and they tell the Jews any you're not going to study God's word you're not going to keep Sabbath you're not going to do anything it has to do with what Moses gave you but what you're going to do is you're going to start dressing and talking and acting like Greeks you're going to learn our language and you're going to worship our gods and so then they would set up a little altar there to the Greek gods and they would say somebody in this city is going to go here and offer up an offering to the Greek gods unfortunately some Jews were okay with it but many were not many were very grieved because they didn't want to compromise and they didn't want to become like the world around them so in the city of Modin there was a man that was going to comply 
the Metahias, who was a priest of God. He said, far be it from us to in any way turn to the left or right from the word of God. And he saw that man coming and according to the Bible under Moses and him being a priest and a judge, he had every right before God to kill that man. It was a capital offense what he was doing and he did, he killed him. And so therefore, it started a war that lasted for three years. The Syrian Greeks tried to crush Israel, but these priestly warriors, Metahias and his son Yehuda, they began to go against the Syrian Greek army, one of the greatest military forces on the planet at that time. This little ragtag priestly army and those that would gather to them and they began guerrilla warfare. They would sneak in maybe at night or whatever and they, over a period of three years, it was a bloody war, but they conquered and Metahias died during the time, but his son Yehuda kind of led the march and his nickname was Maccabee, which means hammer. And God gave the Maccabees a supernatural victory. And here's what happened. After they conquered the Syrian Greek army, they were able to go in and clean out the temple. They had to rebuild a new bronze altar because that one was defiled. They had to probably rebuild some other furniture. But anyway, they cleaned all that stuff out. They, they fixed everything. And they reconsecrated the temple, reconsecrated the altar to resume what God wanted going on in the earth. And let me tell you, if, if the Syrian Greeks have been successful at this and basically turned Israel into just another Greek city, then it would have stopped and it would have actually stopped Jesus from being able to come because he had to come to the Jewish people and he had to come the way he came. So this was an attack of the devil to try to stop God's purposes in sending the Messiah. But how many knows every time Satan's tried to stop the coming of Jesus, it never has worked, okay? And we went through all of that in the past already. So during this time of Hanukkah, as we close this out, it's about the oil and the fire. So once the priest went in, they found one little vial of oil that would only last one day, but they lit it and put it in the menorah anyway. And the menorah burned for, for eight full days. It was a supernatural thing. And so that really encouraged them because they realized, oh, God has been with us. This war could have gone a lot longer than three years. We could have suffered a lot more loss. As a matter of fact, the Greeks could have very easily won and overtook Israel and wiped us out. But God gave us a victory, and now he's showing us by the lit menorah for eight days that he's with us, his presence is with us, and it brought great encouragement. So during the Hanukkah time, it's remem remembering a couple things. Number one, that we do not compromise with the sinful world around us, amen? All the junk that's around us, all the ungodliness, the filthiness, the sexual immorality, the occult, and all the evil that's going on there may be some people that call themselves christians just like in this time that there were some that were willing to compromise they were sellouts but god had a remnant that were refusing to be like the world around them they wanted to remain consecrated unto god a distinct people how many knows when people see us as christians they should see something radically different And so I'm just going to read this and then close out with this. But a game is played called dreidel. And this game of dreidel 
has, uh, you spin this top and it has four Hebrew letters around it. The noon, the gimel, the hay, and the shin. And it's an acronym. And it means this, Shem, which means a great miracle happened there. Or inside of Israel, they'll change out the shin with the pay, Nes Gadol Hayah Po, which means a great miracle happened here. And so even the spinning of the dreidel has to do with the God of miracles, remembering that God brought such a great miracle. How many knows God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He is the God of supernatural breakthrough. He's the God of miracles. How many times have we seen God supernaturally, miraculously heal us? deliver us we've seen him save people we never thought could be saved we've seen him provide for us at times we prayed cried out and god supernaturally brought a breakthrough where we needed provision he is a god who is faithful he is a god sovereign and supernatural and also at this time we see the menorah is lit and put by a window and each night another light is lit so it grows brighter and brighter and Jesus walked through the temple court celebrating Hanukkah, but Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world. And then he said in another place that he has called us to be a light unto the world. And Jesus is that center branch, the shamash branch, that when you light that, that piece of, or that light, rather, you light it, it's from that fire that all the others are lit. So Jesus said about himself, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. But how many knows if, you, if a branch is cut off, it doesn't share in that nourishing sap anymore, and it'll die. So we've got to remain in him. He's that center branch from which we draw all the oil and the fire. And we know also when you study this out, just to give you something interesting, Jesus was conceived during Hanukkah and Christmas time. He was probably born during the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. John's father talking about john the baptist remember his father was burning incense in there worshiping god and the angel appeared to him but he was of a priestly order abijah and you can read in first chronicles 24 how they served during the month of sivan which is in the summer and so you can kind of deduce from that that if john went home and took the angel's word seriously that his wife was going to get pregnant and they began to attempt that then john was probably conceived at that time which would cause john to have been born right around passover and i believe that john the baptist being so significant i have no doubt in my mind that his conception would have been supernatural and his birth would have been at a significant time like passover why because he was the one who was one day going to grow up and he was going to be out there immersing. And what was he going to do? Here he is probably born on Passover. And he's going to tell everybody out there, look, behold, there is the Passover lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And we know that Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary was conceived with, with Jesus. And so Jesus would have been conceived around the Christmas Hanukkah time but he would have been born during tabernacles. And I wonder, and I've speculated, is they traveled to Jerusalem, all those various booths, the various Sukkot that are set up during tabernacles. I wonder by the time this was written, it would have been written probably in Aramaic. All those that wrote it would have been written probably in the language of that time, but it was converted to Greek. 
And I wonder if maybe what they intended when they wrote a manger that the Greeks didn't really understand that maybe it was a tabernacle, a booth. And they thought they called it a manger, not really understanding. I just wonder in my heart if that was the case. But see, Jesus very well could have been born in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in an actual Sukkot, in a little booth on tabernacles. And what does it say about Jesus? It says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us in John chapter 1. And I have no doubt that Jesus' birth would have been just as significant in, in, in every way about the timing of it as it would have been also in his death. So I suspect that Jesus was born in tabernacles. It was a significant time. But at the same time, his death was that he died on Passover day, on that day, and was in the tomb during unleavened bread. He raised from the dead on the day of first fruits. He ascended 40 days later, and then he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost and birthed the church. All of it was significant in timing. So during this time of Hanukkah, as we're about to enter this Christmas time as well, this is a time to rededicate our lives to the Lord, just like the Maccabees had to rededicate the, te the temple. And you see how in this story, how the Antichrist is going to defile the earthly tabernacle. It's an abomination that causes widespread desolation. And how the vision in heaven, where the glory of God filled the actual temple in heaven, and, and how those angels came out from the temple to pour out the wrath of God. This is a time for us being, what, who are the temple of the Holy Spirit now? We are. This is the time for us to consecrate our temple unto God. This is also a time to seek the Lord for major breakthroughs in warfare as there are stubborn situations that truly need to change in many people's lives. But just like in the days of the Maccabees and just like in the days of Moses, in the days of Joshua when the walls of Jericho fell, what about Gideon's victory with 300 men having to face a massive army? What about in the days of Hezekiah when the Assyrians came? And he was terrified. But the angel of the Lord for Hezekiah... The angel of the Lord, it was prophesied by Isaiah. Hezekiah is crying out to God. And one night, one angel shows up and slaughters like 100,000 people in the military that was coming against Israel. This is a time for major breakthroughs in warfare. This is a time, number three, to seek the Lord for a fresh anointing and move into revival in your life. For the Lord is coming for wise virgins with what? Extra oil. So just like the miracle oil at Hanukkah that lasted eight days, we need a fresh anointing. We need to be filled with extra oil. And Hanukkah speaks of the supernatural oil. Number four, just like the lit menorah, we're called to be a light in this world. Let me ask you, are we still witnessing? Are we still sharing our faith? Because that's what it means to be a light. Number six, this is a time of tipping the scales of justice. The Lord promised us in Luke 18 that, that an evil judge, the persistent widow, kept coming to him day after day. And finally, even an evil judge that did not care anything about people, didn't care anything about God or righteousness or justice, but that evil judge, just because she was so persistent, finally said, just give that woman what she wants so she'll leave me alone. And Jesus said, look, if an evil judge 
will give a woman her persistent request, how much more so will your Father in heaven give you justice and do so quickly? But Jesus said when he comes, he, he must find faith in the earth. It takes faith to keep being persistent in prayer and standing on the promise of God, even though you don't see it, you don't feel it, and you have to keep believing God, just like those Maccabees kept having to go to war. You got to understand, they saw friends die. They saw people they love getting martyred. And they had to keep pressing forward and keep fighting a bloody battle day after day, week after week, month after month. But eventually, the breakthrough came. And number seven, it's interesting at this time, many read Psalm 30, which is a beautiful psalm. And also there's a beautiful Jewish poem called Maoz Zor, which means fortress rock. That's read at this time. And I'm going to close by reading this poem. This is sung or, or read by many during this time of Hanukkah. And look at this. It's an old poem. It says, first part, rock and fortress of my salvation. To you it is fitting to give praise. May the house of my prayer be built. And there we will bring an offering of thanks. When you prepare a place of slaughter for the blaspheming enemy, then I will lift my voice in song of dedication of the altar. My soul is satiated with tribulations and my strength was sapped with sadness. My life was embittered with difficulty of enslavement to the kingdom of the calf, which was Egypt. But with his great hand, he extradited the beloved treasured nation. The army of Pharaoh and his descendants sunk in the, in the, like a stone in the depths. So they're praising God for the great deliverance from Egypt. Then later in history, he brought me to the sanctuary of his holiness, but there too I had no rest. The oppressor, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, came and exiled me, for I had worshipped foreign gods and the poisonous wine of sin I did taste. I had barely left my land when the end of the Babylonian exile came, when Zerubbabel, and at the end of the 70 years, I was emancipated. So they're praising God later in history how God brought them out from Babylon and restored them back to the second temple period. Then, later on, cut down the towering cypress of Mordecai. Remember Porah, the story, the Agagite son of Hamdada, Haman requested. But remember, Haman was going to build a gallows, okay? But it has become an entrapment for him in his arrogance and his arrogance was silence. You raised the head of Mordecai. In other words, you exalted Mordecai. And the enemy, his name you erased. His many sons, his possessions, you hung them all on a tree. And then later, this is the story of the Maccabees here. Later in Israel history, it says, The Syrian Greeks gathered upon me in the days of the Hasmoneans. They broke through the walls of my towers and defiled all the oils of the temple. But from the remnant of the flask, a miracle was wrought for the roses. Speaking of Israel, the men of wisdom, the sages, instituted eight days of song and praise. And this is interesting because the last part of this poem is prophetic. Do you, do you see here like the cycles? You're going through history and history is repeating itself. How Israel was, the enemy tried to destroy and God delivered. Tried to destroy, tried to hinder God. Now look at this. This is the very end and here's the story and I believe this has to do with the Antichrist and it's prophetic about how he's going to try to destroy Israel and slaughter every Jew it says this unleash your holy arm and bring near the final salvation avenge your servants from the evil nation and this is you know what that evil nation is in time Babylon led by the Antichrist 
for it has been too long already and there's no end to the days of evil and repelled the red one which has to do with the descendants of Edom possibly a reference to Palestinians raise up the seven shepherds and this has to do with the coming Messiah and his righteous ones after the tribulation time so this is a poem that's read at Hanukkah and tonight I want to pray for people I, I knew this wasn't going to be really long but we went through Revelation 15 for next time we come together I want you to read Revelation chapter 16 about the bowls of wrath and then we're going to look at that together okay so let's go ahead and shut down recordings and after you get all that done if you could just play some music and I felt I hope you guys can hear me in this I felt that this altar time was very significant we're going to pray we took communion in a special way